0: We open in our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 1. We'll read the entire chapter. And then this morning we'll be considering verse 15. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is God's holy and inspired word. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord, Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which has committed which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief." However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. We will read this far in the holy inspired word of God, and verse 15 reads this way, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I'm sure that you all have begun in celebrating or preparing to celebrate, in some way, uh, Christmas, and those kinds of celebrations include uh, music and shopping and cards and food preparation and family gatherings and other decorations, and You're busy with with those things. And the, the sermon this morning is intended to deepen, not dampen, our celebration. To deepen our celebration of the birth of the Savior. And the way that Paul begins the verse helps us to understand that. When he says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. When he says it's a saying, he means... This was something that the New Testament Christians repeated back and forth to each other. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It was something like what they would declare uh, concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And here, this saying was something that they said to each other. And Paul calls it here a faithful and worthy of acceptance saying. And he means by that that it's a, a good saying, faithful to the word of God not only, but, but good for us and then worthy of acceptance, something that is worth our receiving and as a saying worth our repeating, repeating to each other. So let this be the theme of our celebration. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the faithful saying. We celebrate Christmas with song and we celebrate it with carols and we, we repeatedly sing these familiar songs to each other or with each other or we hear them uh, on the radio or play them in our homes. And, and this is a carol to add to the carols that we have. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Let that be the, the theme of our celebration, and this morning we want just to look at the basic ideas in the text and remind ourselves of those, and to do that so that we celebrate in a very personal way, because that's the the note of what Paul says here, very personal. So let's consider Jesus came for sinners, notice first great sinners, second a, a gracious Savior, and then third our comfort, and I could say our comfort and hope. A lot of our celebration of the birth of Jesus is a repeating of the, of the events and the story of the birth of the Savior. And and if we have a Christmas program or songs, that's what a lot of them will do. They'll tell the story again. We'll read those passages from the Gospels again. But, but the passage that we're looking at this morning doesn't do that. It doesn't tell us the story or the narrative of the birth of Jesus, but instead it, it goes back, as it were, behind that, and tells us the reason for his coming, or the purpose of his coming. Why did he come into the world? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And it tells that in a very personal way, as a personal confession that Paul makes, which should be our personal confession this morning as well. Jesus Christ didn't just come into the world to save sinners in some abstract or general way, but he came into the world because of my sin. Why did He have to come into the world? And the answer is, I needed Him to come. That's there in the text, first in in that word sinners. What are sinners? And we can give a a biblical and a technical answer to that. That's, That's accurate. That's good. And then we would say something like this, that sinners are those who have missed the goal or the purpose for which God created them. And that's sin. It's to miss the mark of the glory of God. God made man in the beginning as the highest of all the creatures. And God created him to, to glorify himself. And, and he made him as a conscious creature, moral and rational, to use his heart and his mind and his soul and his strength to, to love God. And sin is that man misses that created purpose. But he goes against the created purpose and instead loves himself or the creature or even serves Satan with love. And, and the sin, we know, all began with the fall of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, into sin. God set them the standard for obedience. And he said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam Adam didn't obey God. He fell short. He, he he missed the mark and the result is that the entire human race was born into sin. And the Bible says there's no one that's righteous, not one. And so we, we, we understand the universal condemnation of humanity and the universal need for a Savior. And we can, I said, answer what sinners are in a very correct and technical way by understanding those things and seeing that this made it necessary for Jesus to come into the world. He had to come into the world to save sinners, to to reconcile them to God. And, And this is what God had decreed from the beginning, to rescue man from his fallen state. And this morning, you all understand that. You all acknowledge that. You all know that. It's not new to you. But what I want you to see this morning is that that Paul takes this to another level, as it were, takes it another step, so that we're not just acknowledging that we know this, he came for sinners, but recognizing that he came for me. I needed him. And that's what Paul is confessing here. And that's important because it's possible that someone hears all that about sin and man's fall and Jesus coming and, and the gospel and, and says, yes, I, I, I realize those things, I acknowledge those things, but doesn't embrace it personally, only sees it generally. Doesn't experience it as an individual, but sees it as, as something for fallen humanity, doesn't understand his own need of the Savior. Is never converted, never puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And so as the Gospels explained this morning or whenever it's explained, it's a call to personal faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see so clearly here. This is not abstract. This is not about others. This is not general But it's personal. And we see that in two things in the text. First, this, he came for me because I'm a sinner. And then even deeper or more personal, I am the chief of sinners. What does it mean he came for me? Well, it means that as a sinner, I'm self-aware of my sin. I'm conscious of my need. Of Jesus Christ. In some ways, it's it's meaningless really to say, in a general way, that Jesus came into the world for sinners. That expression all by itself has no value because the truth is that Jesus didn't come into the world for all sinners, Jesus came into the world for those who he says the Father had given to him. He came into the world for those whom God had decreed to save. And really, the question that we ask ourselves is, am I one of those? And the answer to that question is, I am, and I know that I am, when I come to Jesus in repentance and confession. So so this abstract statement that Jesus came into the world for sinners is meaningless. He came for me. sinner. And it's only by that personal confession which we could say is the first evidence of grace and the first expression of faith in the life of a human being. Jesus Christ came for me. I need him. I am a sinner. And tonight, or or this morning, sorry, I want to put that to you from another passage in Scripture and and demonstrate to you that this is what Jesus was repeatedly trying to teach his disciples and his followers. He, he says this in Matthew 9, verse 12, and it's spoken to the Pharisees who trusted themselves that they were righteous. They didn't think that they needed Jesus. Jesus says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you understand what he's saying there. I didn't come for people with the attitude that they are not sinners. I didn't come for people that have the attitude that other people might need Jesus, but I really don't need him. No, I came for those who know themselves sinners. And that's what Jesus is teaching over and over. You think of, for example, Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is talking about judging. What does he say? He says, take the beam out of your own eye before you're concerned with the sliver in somebody else's eye. Why? Because if you understand sin, you'll understand your sin in a greater way than you'll ever see it in others. Or or the woman caught in adultery and the, the, the Jewish leaders bring her to Jesus and Jesus says, well, which of you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone." And he does that to to lay at their feet their own sin. He does the same with his disciples over and over again. And, and, And that's the point here, isn't it? That we can only understand the meaning of Jesus coming into the world when we really grasp our own need of the Savior. And that's the beauty and the celebration then of his coming. That's the sweetness of celebrating Christmas. That's the, the wonder of, of confessing the name Jesus, sweeter and dearer to me than anything else. Not just a baby in a manger, but my Savior. You, do you acknowledge that? Do you know that this morning? And then Paul, as it were, goes even deeper. It's more penetrating when he says he came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. That's another way of saying, not just I needed him, but I need him most of all. Paul is not saying, when he, when he says this that he was the worst of sinners to ever live, that he committed the most heinous crimes. He's not saying that because he persecuted the church, there's nobody that can compare to him in wicked deeds. I I think we understand that. We can look at characters in the history of the world, uh, perhaps uh, serial criminals, and we, we understand that there is a wickedness, in a sense, that exceeds the deeds that the Apostle Paul committed. If we would say that, that this is what Paul is talking about, I'm the chief of sinners, then we would, in a sense, have a a way of dismissing these words and saying, well, they apply to Paul because he was the chief of sinners, but they don't apply to you and me. We don't need to make this confession. I remember uh, having a discussion about this passage with a man, and he was convinced that, This wasn't a confession that he had to make. Not, I am the chief of sinners, but Paul was. That's not the idea here. The idea here is, again, that this is a personal confession. And and Paul says this here because when it comes to the knowledge of sin for the true child of God, who, who by the work of the Holy Spirit has come to see something of what we... We saw in Psalm 130, if you, Lord, would mark sin, who would stand? Recognizing that I myself cannot stand. And, that, and that's the way we should take what Paul is saying here. He, he knows sin because he knows his own sinful heart. And he knows the sin in his own heart better than he knows anyone else's sin. He's most familiar with sin when he looks at himself. And you think of his words elsewhere in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am. He, he judges sin not by the deed, but he, he judges it by the source that's in his heart, his sinful heart. He sees that sin is more than just in conduct, but it's in character. It's in his nature. And that's the way to understand what Paul is saying here in the context as well. He says, of whom I am chief. Not I was, but I am and when he says, I, I persecuted the church in ignorance, he doesn't mean there to make an excuse, but he's saying that in the state of unbelief, this is what we are. This is what we would do. We are haters of God. We are haters of the gospel. We're opposed to Jesus Christ. We, As it was said to him on the Damascus Road, we kick against the pricks. Because we're opposed to God. We're haters of God. This is who we are in our state of ignorance. You, as he quickened, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's what Paul is acknowledging here. Can you, can you say that tonight? Or say that this morning, that I am the chief of sinners. Do you know yourself that well that, that as you look for sin? It's most obvious to you when you look within. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And Jesus says, Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and thefts and false witness and blasphemies. And we just read in, in First Timothy 1 that the law is made for not righteous people, but lawless, insubordinate, ungodly, sinners, unholy, profane, murderers, manslayers, fornicators, sodomites, kidnappers, liars, perjurers. Who are you thinking of? That's what it uncovers. That's the point here. That's what it uncovers in your heart and in my heart. Do you see that? as you think about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Why did he come? Because I'm the chief of sinners. And I needed him. I needed the forgiveness that he came with. We do a very good job of manifesting ourselves in a a righteous way, controlling our behavior, living before others. Our our tongue and our actions are... There, there, there's not a display of obvious sin in them. But what's in the heart? Calvin called our hearts a sin factory. We imagine, we lust, we fantasize, we envy, we hate, we covet, we're spiteful, we're angry. Oh, I need the Savior. This is how you see sin this morning. I need him most. Maybe the question is, well, how did Paul come to see this? And it's this, that he came close to the light. He walked close to God. The closer to the light, the darker and clearer your shadow. The closer to God, the more you'll see and understand grace, which is undeserved, so your sin and your unworthiness. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. But now, what a gracious Savior. And that's presented to us in the text in his name and his activity Two names and, and two things really that are said about his activity. The two names here are Christ and Jesus, and, and we could quickly pass over these, but they are significant. They are the titles that God himself gives to the Savior. They have meaning. They have meaning for us at Christmas. They have meaning for us as we think about Jesus, the Savior. And those are the two names here Christ and Jesus. Christ is his title. Jesus is his personal name. Christ is a title that, you, that belongs uniquely to the Savior. It's the Old Testament word for Messiah. It means the anointed one. It refers to the fact that God had designated him from eternity to come into the world. Psalm 2 verse 6 and 7 says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree, God's decree, Jehovah has said to me, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. And, and the idea is that he was the eternally appointed one to come into the world as the son of God who would become the sin bearer. God appointed him. And the, all the prophecies of the Old Testament that have to do with the Messiah who would come, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, Messiah, who would come as king, not only, but Messiah, who would come as suffering servant, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. Messiah means anointed. Jesus was anointed at his baptism. The Holy Spirit came on him in the the form of a dove. and, And this is something that the Old Testament saints and the Jews were very familiar with anointed, set apart by God. Now to be prophet, priest, and king. To, to bring the word of God as prophet. To, to offer himself as a sacrifice as priest. And to, to rule as king. And this is who the Christ is. And his name is Jesus, Savior. Jehovah saves. This was not the name just that his parents gave him. It was a common Jewish name, but it was the name that Joseph and Mary were instructed by God to give. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And God gave him this name because God himself was his father. He was conceived in the, in the womb of Mary by God, and, and God says this will be the name, and, and it really teaches us both who he is and why he's come. He's Jehovah who saves. So these are his names, and the the Bible tells us about the name Jesus. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Celebrating the, the birth of the Savior, Christ Jesus coming into the world, is again believing the name, the person, the work of Jesus. What was his work? That's described here in two ways. He came into the world and he came into the world to save. He came into the world. This tells us something about his eternity. He he was and He came. We might use those words sometimes when a baby is born, that a baby has come into the world. But we really mean it's just come from the mother's womb into this world. But when Jesus came into the world, it was more than that. He, as I referred to in the prayer this morning from Philippians 2, He came from the heights and the glory of heaven and He, he came as the eternal one who possessed the glories of of God Himself and he, came. he didn't begin to be at the moment of his conception. He didn't begin to be on his birthday, the, the day of his nativity, but he, he always was. He came into the world. And that means not just that he came into a physical world and took on himself... Physical flesh and blood. But the word world indicates much more than that which is physical. It represents a, a system, a moral system we could say. A spiritual system that is opposed to God. There's a moral and spiritual dimension to his coming. He came into a sin-cursed world that hated God and was opposed to God. And he took the the curse that was on that creation and that was on this world of fallen man. He took that On himself, he came to rescue. He came into the world to to save. Salvation is both a a negative and a positive thing. He came to save and deliver from sin. And he came to to bring us into, we might say, the glories of communion and fellowship with God. When he came to save, he, he took on himself the The weight of our sin, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity that is the guilt of us all. He took on him everything that sin is, the the guilt of sin, the punishment of sin, what sin deserves, the the power of sin, the consequences of sin, the, the wrath of God. He came to save us. And he removed from us all of those things. That's what he did. He came not just for Bethlehem, but he came for Calvary. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we we remember the purpose of his coming into the world was the cross. And he always aimed at that throughout his life. that, That was represented even in the unconsciousness of the Savior in his birth as he was born in the lowly stable of Bethlehem, and there, as it were, the shadow of the cross, the curse of God already, was the weight that was represented in the symbolism of his birth. And he came to save us and lift us from the weight and the bondage and the darkness and the shadow of sin to bring us into the glory of of life with God as as those righteous and forgiven, to bring us into peace with God, to to bring us into communion with himself and with his people, to bring us into glory, and to bring with us the creation in in the new heavens and the new earth, and Jesus Christ came to save. Is this your hope? Is this your comfort? when you think of the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. So this is worth repeating, isn't it? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's the faithful saying. That's the carol for us to sing as we celebrate the birth of the Savior. There's comfort and hope in this, and that's there, especially in the words that Paul uses to describe the phrase, a faithful saying worthy of acceptance. I suppose if we would take that phrase and think about everything that's in the Bible, we'd have to say that, wouldn't we? The Bible is the word of God. It's faithful. It's a faithful saying. Everything in it is faithful saying. It's worthy of acceptance. Certainly that's true of all the scriptures. They, they are God's word delivered to us by the Holy Spirit, by inspiration, worthy of receiving and worthy of repeating. But here, the Holy Spirit earmarks this particular expression. I, I said it's not the only time. There are a few other times in the New Testament that you see similar things and perhaps... These are really the foundation of what we could call confessional statements. The church expresses in these repeated uh, phrases what it believes. We have something like that in the Apostles' Creed. But here's something that the Holy Spirit earmarks. This is a faithful saying. This is worthy of repeating. And the question we asked this morning is, why does he do that? And the answer is because he knows that this is what you and I need to hear, isn't it? Great sinners. We need to hear it. Don't you feel the guilt of your sin? Don't you experience the brokenness and the consequences of sin in your life? Don't you find yourself weak in the face of temptation? Don't you, as you Assess yourself and your heart, wonder sometimes, can I really be saved or will I really be preserved? And now God gives us this word to say, to say repeatedly Jesus Christ came into the world not for righteous, but for sinners. Satan wants to tell you something else when you feel the guilt and the brokenness and the weakness of your sin and and you might be inclined to agree with him. Yes, I'm not worthy. How could he save me? And then this word comes to us. Well, Jesus didn't come for the righteous. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. And Paul is saying here, and the Holy Spirit is saying here, repeat it to yourself. Preach it to yourself. Say it to yourself again and again. Say it to your children when they fall into sin. Let them know the graciousness and the the goodness of God. Say it in the church to others. Say it to broken people that God brings in. Say it to those who fall into great sin. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Doesn't matter. You may be the worst of sinners. But you're not beyond the reaches of the grace of God. That's the word here to us this morning. And and Paul gives that testimony from his own life, as it were. That's the surrounding context to this verse. Paul is not just stating this in the the abstract. We've seen that already. Of whom I am chief. Well, Paul looks at his own life. And you know Paul. Paul was certainly a Pharisee in his mindset. Righteous. And he was a persecutor of the church. A hater of the gospel. And he's amazed not only that he's saved, but that as a persecutor and a blasphemer, he was entrusted with the gospel to be a voice of the good news. And how could that be? Paul is saying, God did this in me as a pattern. Look at that in verse 16. For this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Paul is saying, God... God rescued me so that as I proclaimed the good news, it was something that people could see. And it would be a pattern for those who would believe. And Paul is saying this that guilt, guilt and the weight of sin is something that should move us on on the grace road to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. There's no sin so great in my past, no sin so strong in my present, no sin so severe in the future that Christ cannot rescue me from it. He came to save sinners. And then here's the hope we can look around us in in a world that's a world of fallen sinners, And we can look at it, not with a hopelessness, but with an understanding of the power of grace and the gospel. Jesus came to save sinners. So let this deepen your celebration of the birth of Jesus. I'm a sinner. My conscience tells me that. The brokenness of my life tells me that. My daily failures tell me this. My weakness in the face of sin tells me this. But this is why Jesus came. He came for sinners. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful not only that you sent your son, but that he came and that he came for sinners. We can look at his earthly ministry and see that as he he sat with publicans and sinners and, and ate with them and taught the, the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the prodigal son, and again and again reminded his disciples, reminds us that he came for sinners. Humble our hearts, Lord, so that we understand the gospel and grace in light of who we are and our need. And may this be our joy and celebration in this time of year. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.